Well, this is part four of our series on the apocalypse, and I want to close off this series by looking at three questions that the disciples asked Jesus that precipitated one of the greatest teachings in the Bible, Matthew chapter 24. Matthew 24, of course, has been known as the spine of biblical prophecy, and it is here that we actually should begin. If you are studying the second coming of Jesus Christ, then I want to encourage you to look at Matthew chapter 24, and um, it is really the most important discourse on the last days in Scripture. You know, Jesus taught extensively on the subject of His second coming, and nowhere more in detail than Matthew chapter 24. And we're obligated in Scripture to give careful attention to biblical prophecy. The Apostle Peter tells us that it is a lamb shining in a dark place. And if we continue to walk in darkness when God has made available the light, then we cannot blame anybody else. Now, there are two uh, sermons on the mount. The first, of course, is Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Sometimes we refer to it as the Beatitudes. In these chapters, the Lord Jesus is speaking as the King of Israel, and He's giving to us the constitution of the kingdom. Amen. But in the second Sermon on the Mount is Matthew chapter 24, and here Jesus is speaking as the prophet of God. And if Jesus is the prophet, and He is, then we have the responsibility to hear Him, not just as a teacher, but, but as a prophet, because in Christ, Prophecy finds its perfect expression. Amen. Now, when a prophet in the Bible is speaking, three questions need to be asked. From where is the prophet speaking? To whom is the prophet speaking? And what is the time period? Now, uh, where was Jesus speaking from? He was, uh, of course, on the Mount of Olives. Why is this important? It's important because He ascended from the Mount of Olives back to heaven. And then when He returns, the Bible says in very clearly in the book of Zechariah, chapter 14, that His feet will touch the Mount of Olives, as he returns from heaven. To whom was he speaking to, right? We often make the mistake that Matthew 24 was spoken to a large multitude. It wasn't. It was only preached to four persons, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, right? So this message is not meant for the world. It is meant for his disciples, amen. And when did he preach this message? You know, this is interestingly the last day of Jesus' ministry, and shortly after that, he would be crucified. So he chose to speak on a subject just prior to his death, which I, which I believe underscores the importance of this, this word, all right? Now, the only way we can fully appreciate Matthew 24 is by studying this exegetically, which simply means verse by verse. And we're going to do some reading today, all right? So it's going to be fun, all right? Trust me, I, I kind of like save the best for the last, all right? So let's dive into the word. We're going to read the scriptures and then I'm going to expound uh, on the scriptures as we read them, all right? In verse 1, it says, Jesus went out and departed from the temple and his disciples came to show him the buildings of the temple. Now, this is the second temple. It's not the, the one that Solomon built, all right? This is the second temple that was greatly improved by King Herod and it's one of the wonders of the ancient world and it was beautifully adorned with, with costly stones. And it was the heart and soul of the Jewish people. It was their symbol of their special relationship with Jehovah. Now, the disciples obviously thought that Jesus did not appreciate the building. Come on. And so they just proceeded to give him the grand tour, all right? And then in verse 2, Jesus said, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone will be left there here upon another that shall not be thrown down. I think Jesus' reply astonished the disciples. He told them that the temple, their pride and joy, was going to be in total ruin. Not one stone will be left upon another. How many of you know that buildings, religious buildings especially, don't impress God too much? Hallelujah. Verse 3. Now as He said on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to Him privately. Watch this. 
and saying, tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of thy coming and the end of the age. Or can I put in parenthesis the sign of the end of the age? Right? To the Jewish mind, when the temple is destroyed, if the temple is destroyed, it would mock the end of the age. So the disciples asked Jesus three questions and we're going to find that Jesus is going to answer all these three questions in the following narrative, right? The question is, the first question, when will these things be? In other words, when is the temple going to be destroyed? Number two, what will be the sign of your coming? Now, the word for coming is the word parousia in the Greek. Uh, it's a very important word. We're going to circle back to this uh, later on. And then what will be the third question is what will be the sign of the end of the age? They didn't ask for the signs. They asked for the sign, all right? Now, the Lord is going to answer all these three questions and the whole sermon, if I could use the word, is curated to answer these questions, right? Verses 4 and 5. Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and deceive many. Jesus begins his teachings with a warning on deception. In fact, all the teachings in the scripture concerning the last days has uh, to begin off with deception because deception threatens the church now at this time more than any other thing it, and no one is immune from it. No one. It's the hallmark of the last days, right? Uh, Satan's most powerful weapon is deception and the church's most powerful dis uh, defense is discernment and so we better grow in discernment, man. We better grow in discernment. So let's dissect this verse for a few moments. Let's suppose next Sunday, we have a guest speaker. The guest speaker comes and he stands up and he says, I greet you all in the name of Jesus. And everybody goes, Amen. Then he stands and he says, I am Jesus. Now, how many of you know that ain't going to deceive anybody, right? In 30 seconds, he'll be off the stage. We'll bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness, right? That's not going to deceive anybody. But if he stands up, he looks the part, he looks the Christian, he speaks our language, he dresses up, he's got a Bible under his arm. And he says, Jesus is the Christ. That's where the defenses will go down. That's where the deception comes in. And I tell you this, they come as wolves in sheep's clothing. They speak and they dress and behave as Christians. And I'm telling you this, my friends, it's sometimes not easy to, to, uh, to detect them. So it would be wise for all of us to get grounded in the Word of God because deception is a very powerful force. I mean, think about this. One third of the angels in heaven actually were deceived and swept away by Satan's deception. If you think about it, all right, if the moment you say, I won't be deceived, you have already taken the first step into deception. Trust me, the only thing that is going to protect us in the last days is the mercy of the living God. Hallelujah. Amen. The mercy of God. Now, verse 6 says, you will hear wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. Now, the whole age is going to be marked by continual wars and turmoil and, and widespread looting. And Jesus said, this is not the sign. In 1948, the United Nations was formed to put an end to all wars. Inscribed on a plug and on, in front of the UN building is the words of Isaiah chapter 2 and verse 4. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. But please hear me, my friends. There will never be peace on this earth until the prince of peace returns himself. Amen. We will see wars continually uh, increasing, escalating right till the return of the Messiah. What was the Lord's exhortation for us? He said, see that you must not be troubled. See that you're not troubled. So all these teachings in the last days is to prepare us, not trouble us. If the outcome is that you're scared and frightened, then it's not the right outcome. It's the desired outcome is faith. Amen. It's faith. 
Verse 7, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, pestilences, earthquakes in various places. A significant phrase uh, that mankind never used before until the 20th century is the phrase world war. In the last century, we saw two. But according to scripture, more terrible wars are on the way. Together with wars will be famines, pestilences, earthquakes, each with greater intensity than the one before. And so we have to be prepared for that. All right? Verse, verse 8 says, And all these are the beginning of sorrows. Now, a better word is birth pangs or labor pains. If there are birth pangs, then the question begs to be asked, what's going to be born, right? And I believe with all my heart, it's the kingdom of God on this earth that will be physically manifested. You know, Jesus himself referred to the next age as a regeneration. That's in Matthew chapter 19, verse 28. In the regeneration, he said, the Son of Man sits on the throne of glory. The word regeneration is the same word as rebirth. So the world itself will go through a renovation. It will go through a rebirth. But my friends, all this is just the beginning of sorrows. Just the beginning. Now we come to the continuation of sorrows and I want to look at verses 9 to 10 because the focus shifts. In verses 9 to 10, it says, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake and then many will be offended and betray one another and will hate one another. Let me ask you a question. Who is the you in the scripture here? It's us. We will be hated by all nations. So let me just say this to you. Which part of hated by all nations do we not understand, my friends? We will be hated by all nations in some Christian countries today, so-called Christian countries. If you say you're a Christian, it's a disadvantage. You are going to be persecuted. You're going to be uh, um, uh, abused. You're going to be discriminated. All right, it says many will be offended. Who are the many? It's us. There'll be great divisions in the body of Christ. Many will not be able to take the pressure and then they will betray and hate one another. And then in verse 11, it is again an emphasis on deception. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. Listen, when Jesus says many, he means many. He doesn't exaggerate. Amen. Verse 12, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. And the word for love is agape. Only Christians have that love. And so we're going to see many Christians Stop loving one another and betraying one another. Verse 13, but he who endures till the end, come on, will be saved. Hallelujah. Now, the quality that we desperately need to develop in this hour is endurance. Endurance is the ability to stand in the face of opposition. Why? Because the one who endures till the end shall be saved. Now, there's a bit of difference between endurance and perseverance. Perseverance is moving forward in spite of the opposition. Right? We need both. You can't have perseverance until you have endurance. Right? So the Lord wants to build within us this ability to stand in the last days. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, lead us not into temptation. What we are actually praying is, Lord, you know what I can take and what I cannot take. So let me not fall in a situation that I cannot bear or is too much for me. All right? and, uh, and so this is really an important part of our, our development because we have to be prepared for what is coming in the last days. Verse 14, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the earth as a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. Now, we've had a few signs, but this is a D sign. This is a specific answer to a specific question. What is the sign of the end of the age? This is the sign. The end will come only when every person 
on this planet have been given a chance to hear the gospel. Whether they believe it or not, that's their prerogative, but they will be given a chance to hear the gospel. I believe the church will be in the greatest revival that she has ever known. And you know, in 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter tells us that there are two things that we should be doing. Number one, we should be looking at the coming of the Lord. Come on, my friends. If you love Jesus, you should be looking. If your hope is set in the heavens, in the heavens, and your mind is set in heaven. Listen, you are going to be looking for the things of God. Hallelujah. And not only are you looking for the things of God, you're also hastening. Now, logic tells us if you can hasten the day of the Lord, then you can also delay the, the coming of the Lord. How do we hasten the coming of the Lord? By preaching the gospel. Hallelujah. By preaching the gospel, the last command that Jesus gave before He ascended to heaven was, go, go into all the worlds and preach the gospel. And I believe that that's the first question he's going to ask us. Did you go? Because that's the last thing he said to us. Did you go? We have a responsibility to declare the word of God. We have a responsibility to proclaim the gospel. And the more we proclaim it, the more we hasten the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Come on. Verse 15 says, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, then in parenthesis, it says, Whoever reads, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. The focus now shifts to a very small geographical area known as Judea, which is today, of course, called West Bank. The Bible never refers to it as the West Bank, right? So this part of the prophecy is focused specifically on the Jewish people, not on the Gentiles. Then we come to what is called the abomination of desolation, and this is the event that will signal the commencement of the great tribulation. We're told that understanding is required for this. Here's the background. The Syrian king, right? The Antiochus Epiphanes IV, who was called the king of the north, interestingly, captured Jerusalem in 167 BC. When he entered Jerusalem, he destroyed all the scriptures, outlawed circumcision, forced the Jews to eat swine's blood, uh, swine's flesh, and those who did not comply, of course, were killed. Then he went into the temple and offered swine's blood upon the altar. And this was the abomination which makes desolate. And he also, of course, removed the daily sacrifices. The Jewish people had a leader called Judas Maccabeus. And he led a revolt against Antiochus Epiphanes and prevailed. Prevailed with a very much smaller army. And the Jews then cleansed and rededicated the temple. And, and to celebrate the cleansing and the rededication, the Jews inaugurated a, a holiday called Hanukkah, all right, which is the feast of dedications, a feast, a feast of lights, which, by the way, is mentioned in the, in the Gospels as well. Now, Daniel prophesied this in Daniel chapter 9 before it actually happened. Uh, and all these verses had a historical fulfillment. But it's only a type of what is going to come. Jesus predicted that this would happen all over again. And would, it would be the event that will launch the, the world into what is called the Great Tribulation. Now, remember, for these events to happen, the temple has to be rebuilt. In my opinion, that the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem is going to be a mega sign that we are in the final hours of humanity. Right? This, of course, could not be possible before 1948 because before 1948, there was no Israel. Then, of course, on the 14th of May in 1948, the United Nations mandate Israel became a sovereign nation. 
And because Israel is a sovereign nation, the possibility of the rebuilding of the temple, of course, is very real. You think about that, man. For the last 2,000 years, there was no Israel until 1948. And then all of a sudden, it, Israel became a nation again, and all these scriptures, all these prophecies all came alive. <laughs> Come on. Woo! Hallelujah. Then in verse 16, let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. This, is, this is scripture is not for us. Right? It's for the Jewish people. What Jesus said, the instant you see this happening, he says, you must act without a moment's delay. The urgency is pretty scary. He said, run, run, flee. Verses 17 to 18. Let him who is on the housetop do not, do not go down to take anything out of his house. Let him who is on the field not go back to get his clothes. You know, the houses in Israel are usually flat roof and they have a separate staircase. When you hear these things, he said, go down by the staircase and run. Don't even go into the house. And that's how serious it's going to be. Not a moment to lose. Okay? Verse 19, but woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. You know, it's going to be a very tough time when you're fleeing, especially if you're pregnant and if you're a nursing mother. Fleeing is going to be very, very difficult, right? Think about this, okay? Verse 20, and pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. Why winter? Because if you've ever been to Israel in winter, it's freaking cold, man. It's freezing cold. Why Sabbath? Because re the religious Jews demand observance to the Sabbath and there's no public transport. Think about this for a few moments. The Lord is very practical. So the Lord tells His people how to pray. He said, this is how you are to pray. Lord, let this not happen in the winter or on the Shabbat. Now, prophecy limits what we are to pray. It would be foolish for us to pray that we might not flee when Jesus said flee. Do you, do you understand? Uh, you, but you can pray that when you flee, it, you don't, you, that you don't have to do it on the, uh, in winter on the Shabbat. If you're not familiar with biblical prophecy, then you're going to be praying all kinds of silly prayers that God will not answer. It's foolish to pray that for something to happen that Jesus said would not happen, or vice versa. So prayer must be set within the boundaries of revealed purposes of, it, of God. It has to be set into the boundaries of, of prophecy. That's really important. And I think sometimes Christians make the, 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 the most presumptuous bunch of people. You know, we're praying all kinds of things that the Lord actually said would happen. Verses 21 and 22. For then there shall be a great tribulation such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time. No, nor shall ever be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days would be shortened. Now at this point... There's going to be a period of such intense agony and suffering as never as recorded before in human history. And nothing like it has ever happened or taken place before or will happen again. It will make the Holocaust look like child's play. If the Lord says it's going to be difficult, trust me, it is going to be difficult. He does not exaggerate. The situation will be so terrible that all of human life will be threatened. Humanity itself will be at the brink of self-destruction. Will there be a nuclear war? I believe, yes, it's highly probable. During the Great Tribulation, many Christians will be martyred for their faith, and we must be prepared for that. You know, if we are complaining about every little inconvenience today, how in the world are we going to bear the tribulation then? Think about that. 
All the trials that you're going through right now is to build stamina in us, is to build endurance. Amen. And during the time, I remember, recall reading uh, the Bishop of Cottage, the Roman Empire issued a decree that all Christians would lose their lands and their properties at midnight on the same day of the decree. Christians were hammering the gates of the local magistrates, disclaiming any relationship with Christ. Boy, that's how shallow that commitment. I'm, I'm telling you, are you prepared to lose your homes? Are you prepared to lose your homes when the time comes? Are you prepared to bear the shame and the, the abuse when our children are barred from going to school because they're Christians? Man, it's happening in, in many places today. What will happen when the mark of the beast is introduced when you can't even buy a shoelace without the mark. It's those times that we will know who the crude Christians are and who the imposters are. It will be very, very difficult for Christians. And I tell you this, we must be prepared for it now. We must get ready for it now or else we're not going to be ready for it then. We're not going to be able to endure. Man, the crowd can sing kumbaya with a preacher, but when the suffering begins, a lot of fat will be trimmed. So what I say to you is prepare this whole series of sermons. It's to prepare us. And I feel like I have a mantle of the watchman sounding the trumpet. The enemy is coming. The enemy is coming. Night is coming. But the day is coming as well. Hallelujah. The glory of God is coming. Jesus is returning in great power and in great glory. We must get ready, my friends, now for the trials that we are going to be facing. So right now, every single trial that you go through. Thank the Lord for it because it's preparing you. It's building endurance in your life. It's building strength in your life. Listen, my friends, every trial can either make you better or bitter. It's up to you. You can either be strengthened by it or you keep murmuring and complaining. And I choose to allow the Holy Spirit to do what He wants to do in my life because it's preparing me for something that is coming. Amen. Now, the great tribulation will come in two waves. The Jew first, and then the Gentiles. Romans chapter 2 gives us the divine order of God's judgments and blessings. When tribulation comes, it will always first happen to the Jew. And please don't say it doesn't concern us. I mean, terrorism actually started with the Jewish people. And now it's, it's gone global, right? Now I want to pivot to a few moments in another gospel, in the gospel of Luke, where Jesus said, uh, added a few more things, right? Luke chapter 21 and verse 20. He said, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by the enemies. Now, this was historically fulfilled in AD 70. The Roman uh, army under General Titus had destroyed Jerusalem. Of course, they uh, led the siege of Jerusalem in AD 63. It lasted for seven years. But for some political reason, the Romans withdrew the siege in the middle of the seven years very briefly. And the Christians who were still left in Jerusalem, now they should have not have been there, by the way, right? But there were still Christians in Jerusalem. They remembered what Jesus said and escaped to a city called Pillar across the Jordan. And then the Romans restored the siege and did not stop till they raised Jerusalem to the ground. And of course, you know that two million Jews were, were killed and slaughtered and one million sent to slavery and the nation of Israel was dispersed throughout the world. And for the last 2,000 years, Jerusalem has been trampled by the Gentiles, right? And Jesus said this in Luke 21, verse 24, and they will fall by the edge of the sword, which has come to pass, and be led away captives into all the nations. This has come to pass. Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Now, in 1948, when uh, Israel became a nation in one day, remember, that's amazing. Uh, this is a fulfillment of this prophetic word 
And then after the Six-Day War in 1967, Jerusalem was recaptured by, the Israel, by Israel and is now back in the hands of the Jewish people. The time of the Gentiles is coming to an end. The doors are quickly closing. The gospel of the kingdom is being preached. And my friends, if you are not in the kingdom, you're out of the kingdom. There's no gray area. You're either in or out. You have to choose right now. You have to choose. And I believe the Holy Spirit is speaking to some of you watching me preach. There are some of you here today. The Holy Ghost is speaking to you. You must decide. You must decide. Or else it is too late. Matthew 24, uh, to, and coming back to verse, from verses 23 all the way to verses 28. I'm going to skip that because of the, the time, uh, because of our time. But I want to pick this up again in Matthew uh, chapter 24 and verse 29. And the Lord said, immediately after the tribulation, watch this, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of heaven will be shaken. Now what's happening is a cosmic blackout. Right? It will happen immediately after the great tribulation. The prophet Joel prophesied this, in Joel chapter 2 and verse 31, he says, The sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon shall be turned into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. Now, this blackout takes place before the parousia. I mentioned that word, the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. Right Now, verse, uh, verse 30, And the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and all the, all the tribes of the earth will mourn. Why will they mourn? Because they're going to see his face. That's the sign. The sign of uh, the coming of the Son of Man. Hallelujah. They will see his face. They will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and glory. All eyes, every tribe, every nation, everybody on this planet will see him return. Hallelujah. Now, this is not the second coming. And that's where a lot of uh, teachings have gone wonky. This is not the second coming. This is the, the, the haparzo, the rapture of the church. Now, this is the answer to the second question. What is the sign of your coming? This is the sign. The Lord will appear in the skies, hallelujah, in clouds of great glory. Come on, hallelujah. And then the rapture will take place. Now, at the end of the great tribulation, Jesus will come back and appear in the skies and all, the, all flesh will behold Him. And the rapture or the puzzle will take place. In 1 Thessalonians 4.15, Paul uses the same word, for we say this to you by, by the word of the Lord, those who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. In other words, the rapture of the saints will take place at the parousia or the appearance of the Lord in the skies. Don't make the mistake. This is not the second coming. Jesus returns physically on this planet only in Revelation chapter 19. Now, I want to just take this to a landing and I want to give you the divine order of things. This is really important, right? The divine order. And I want you to pay close attention. All right? The temple, number one, must be rebuilt. It must be rebuilt. For all these things to happen. You can't have the abomination of desolation. You can't have all these things that are mentioned in the scriptures without the temple first being rebuilt. So watch for it. It will happen, my friends. Or this, or this, or this gospel is, is a lie. Number two. The Antichrist and the false prophet must be revealed to deceive the nations. They must come, all right? Number three, the abomination of desolation must be erected in the holy place. Number four, the world will, be, will plunge into great tribulation that will last for three and a half years. 
Number five, at the end of the Great Tribulation, there would be a cosmic blackout. Number six, in the midst of this blackout, the sign, can you just imagine the, the picture, right? The whole earth is covered in shrouded in darkness and then bam, in the skies, the sign of the Son of Man appears and every eye will see him. Glory to God. Glory to God. Woo! And the sign of the coming, the parousia of the Son of Man will appear in the clouds. Number seven, the, the rapture, the puzzle will take place. And then number eight, the seven trumpets and seven bowls judgment will be released upon this planet. It will be a time of great judgment. You better make sure you're not around at the time. You better make sure. So you've got to be start preparing yourself now. And then nine, number nine, mystery Babylon is going to be destroyed. And then Jesus will return as king and conqueror riding on a white horse. Now remember this, all right? Jesus returns only after mystery Babylon is destroyed. And then in the number 11, the Antichrist and false prophets are cast into the lake of fire. And Satan will be incarcerated in the bottomless pit for a thousand years. The judgment, number 12, the judgment seat of Christ is manifested and judgment is committed to the saints, to the judges. And then number 13, this 1,000 year reign of Christ begins on this planet as the earth enters into a Shabbat. This is uh, the 1,000 years a reign, physical reign of Jesus on the earth, and it's the time where the Lord shows us what the earth can be like when righteousness reigns on this planet. Amen. Let me close uh, with one more scripture in Matthew chapter 24 and verses 42 to 44. Jesus said, Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready. For the Son of Man coming is coming at an hour that you do not expect. The King James Bible says, Therefore, you also be ready for in such an hour as you think not. As you think not. The Son of Man cometh. Now, the thief here refers to Jesus. Jesus is not a thief, but in several occasions in Scripture, he says, I'm coming. Like a thief. How does a thief come? How does a thief work? By stealth. A thief never announces when he's coming. It doesn't tell you by which entrance he's coming by. He's designed to take you by surprise. And that's exactly the way Jesus is coming back. One of the things that you must bear in mind, although he's coming like a thief, he is not a thief. When he comes, he's only going to take what belongs to him. And if you don't belong to him, you're going to be left behind. In verse 44, he says, Therefore you also be ready. What are you to be ready for? His coming. Why? Because He's coming in an hour you do not expect. If you think you know when He's coming, I assure you, I assure you, you don't. Because He's coming in an hour we do not expect. Two will be in the field, one will be taken, one will be left behind. Two will be in the bed, one will be taken, and one will be left behind. You better make sure that you're the one that's going to be taken up. Many years ago in England, there was a preacher who was preaching the second coming and he asked his audience, do you think that Jesus will come back tonight? A man stood up and replied, he says, I think not. Another man stood up and he says, I think not too. And another man says, I think not. And he, this preacher said, and said in the scripture, that Jesus is going to come back in an hour. You think not. God has designed that we're going to be taken by surprise. So my friends, what I say to you now, I say to all, watch and pray. Jesus spoke to us about this. Watch and pray. And I feel like I have an anointing of a watchman at this moment. 
And I'm sounding the alarm, sounding the, 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 the trumpet to the church and saying, Jesus is coming back. Let us be watching. Let us be praying. Let us not fall asleep. There is a spirit of slumber that is coming to the church. A lot of Christians are sleepy and are falling into a deep slumber. They are caught up in the ways of the world. They're caught up in the things of the world. They're caught up in the whole nitty-gritty, the, the daily grind of the world. And they've forgotten. They've forgotten all these things are temporal. And the apostle Peter says that one time the world was destroyed by a flood. But he says in the last days it will be destroyed by a fire. He says everything on earth. Everything on earth. And therein will be destroyed. All the beautiful buildings, all the beautiful cities that we have put painstakingly build and spend all our time and money. They're all going to go up in smoke, my friends. They're all going to go up in ashes. And the only thing that will last in those days will be the kingdom. It's the only thing that cannot be shaken. Hallelujah. So Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things that we seek after will be added unto us. My God, I pray right now for every person that's listening to this word. I know that this is a serious word for us, but it's, a, but it's to a serious people that I speak to right now. And I pray, God, decisions are going to be made, Lord, right now. Are you ready for Jesus? Are you ready for His coming? Are you preparing yourself for the return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the great King, hallelujah, King of kings and Lord of lords. I pray, Lord God, that conviction will be strong, that you would put the fear of God in the hearts of these people, Lord, hearing this message. And I pray, God, that there'll be a turning of the hearts towards you. Hallelujah. I bless every person that's listening right now, and I pray salvation over them in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. You've just listened to a production of Cornerstone Community Church. Please note that all unauthorized reproduction, distribution, or sale of the recording is prohibited. For permission to reproduce or distribute the sermon, please write into mail at cscc.org.sg. We hope that you have been blessed.